0: Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mike and Oscar show, they cover films that win the gold, but now we're talking Pixar films for all of these shows, from Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar rewatch show. Well, then I'm thoroughly embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, that's our new intro intro song for the Pixar Rewatch series, and we're back. Welcome to Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am co-host Mike Newman, or is it Randy? One, uh, one of those two. This is co-host also Mike.
1: Also, Mike here, I texted you after you sent me this and I was like, I could kiss you on the lips right now because I, I just thought it was so innovative. I thought it was so much fun. It's
0: something. I don't know what it is. But yes, uh, as the uh, Mr. Newman let us in, this is the Pixar Rewatch and we started this last week. We started with Toy Story 1. This week now, the second episode, we're not going in chronological order. We're going through uh, different franchises, right. all in the lead up to Toy Story 4. Again, as that beautiful opening song. It really just doesn't capsule and encompass everything you need to know about us as a brand much. and this series in particular. <laughs> but uh, we're doing the Monsters movies today, which cover both Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University, 2001 release and a 2013 release. We're taking these kind of a franchise by franchise basis, but also we're handling these in, in a similar way to our OSPs, except we're combining them,
1: right? Yes, we're combining both movies, so we're going to do a Monsters, Inc. and a Monsters University non-spoiler section followed by a spoiler section for both movies. It works out fairly well this time because we actually have a prequel instead of a sequel, so that, yeah, that helps. Yeah, which is nice. We're all, we also have some added segments. We're doing the history of the Pixar company, and we're jumping around a little bit, but we have the second major franchise of this Pixar series, the Monsters movies. You know, to deal with today, so we're, we're going... It was just uh, Toy Story, Bugs Life, Toy Story 2, and then Monsters, Inc. So this it doesn't come as a, you know, shocking development for the series. So we have the history of the Pixar company. We have that in the non-spoiler section. In the spoiler section, we have two added segments. Heartbreaks and Happiness. That was uh, a lot of fun last Could time. just be
0: a tagline of our podcast in general. Pretty right much. <laughs>
1: I'm going to say pretty much... To a lot of things just today. as a response, <laughs> yes,
0: Mike. Mike One,
1: <laughs> but we're also looking at Pixar's 22 Rules of Storytelling. This was a big thing in screenwriting circles years ago. The screenwriting community knows what I'm talking about. We're going to discuss rules two and three for these two movies today. I probably should have prepared that then in the spoiler seconds. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm the quote unquote screenwriter of the group here, so I, I have that covered for you, Mike. We'll just uh, we'll, we'll chat about that in spoilers.
0: So, uh, how this usually starts and how every OSP starts and how every movie event review starts we're going to do the cast and crew Mike's gonna lead us off with that but like he said we're covering both movies at once here so maybe a little elongated but uh you're gonna get the the sense of what happened in 2001 and 2013 in the production of both Monsters Inc and Monsters University obviously Inc is the first one so Mike take us through with the cast and crew
1: here so they definitely had a founding fathers group of animators and storytellers for that Pixar yeah. that initial startup version version of itself and Pete doctor and and well, not David Silverman, but Pete Doctor was definitely one of those founding fathers. Th- these two guys co-directed the movie. Uh, again, that's David Silverman and Pete Doctor. Doctor's resume also includes Up and Inside Out, so he's really stayed with the company ever since. Silverman has gone on, uh, before this, he directed 23 episodes of The Simpsons, and he also directed The Simpsons movie. This is kind of a similar formula to what they had in Toy Story. They had Ramp, who was a Disney animation guy, and this one they had, they had The Simpsons guy, and then you have a Pixar homegrown talent, so that kind of works. With Monsters University now, you have the film being co-written and directed by Dan Scanlon, whose only other directorial credit came with the movie Tracy, but it does follow in a similar comedy vein. It is a mockumentary about a 1970s TV show, The Imagination Train Station, Mm. and, of course, Scanlon, once a Pixar guy, always a Pixar guy, he's doing the next Pixar movie in 2020 called Onward which premise reads set in a suburban fantasy world two teenage elf brothers embark on a quest to discover if there is still magic out there. Michael, are you intrigued by that premise or does the word elf scare you? I am
0: insulted by how vague that is. That's what you could do if you took elf out of that description, you could put that on any Pixar movie. Is there still magic out is there? Is there still
1: magic Maybe out there? Maybe it's more in a literal sense now. It's a great question. It's a great question, Mike. But I'm going to leave the writer's specs to to you for later, but I'm sorry. Co- of course these casts uh, both feature Billy Crystal and John Goodman as the leads. Mike Wazowski. John Goodman is Mr. Sully. Mister Wazowski. Wazowski. Thank you. And of course, you got Steve Buscemi playing a role in both movies as well. Uh, Monsters Inc. features. Commanding presence, James Coburn from the Magnificent Seven, all old-time Hollywood, classic Hollywood performances there. Which was
0: the biggest thing that stuck out to me? What again? Because Pixar was so new, Monsters Inc. is only its fourth movie. Disney is kind of still recovering in its animation process from what it did in the late '80s, '90s, sure. up to its 2000s anyway, where it was kind of struggling after all so much success. That yeah, Billy Crystal's an A-list name. John Goodman, he's on Roseanne, which is one of the number one shows in the late '90s. He's an A-list name. That's really it as far as star-studded feature names. I mean, for, there's a couple for, for others. Sure. But then you get to university some 12 years later after Pixar has
1: established itself as oh, this a yeah. big brand and there's so many A-list talents. Oh, it's coming. But yeah, Monsters, Inc., Jennifer Tilly's in there. Okay, cool. I played bon-
0: Blackjack next to her once in Vegas. Bonnie Hunt
1: is in there. She was in a 90s sitcom. But you're right. A-list, but TV A-list. Right. Or- okay, Monsters University comes... And we got Helen Mirren, who's right. like fresh off an Oscar nom. We got Will and Grace's Sean Hayes. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Charlie Day. Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2, Alfred Molina. That was amazing. Aubrey Plaza, who's in The New Child's Play. We got Fireflies. Nathan Fillion. A Quiet Place's John Krasinski, also from The Office, obviously. Barry's Bill Hader. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil's Tyler Labine. And SNL's Bobby Moynihan. That cast is loaded.
0: So let me ask you now, as a philosophical question that can't be answered, so I feel it's fair for me to put you on the spot, Is this, do they go more A-lister because there's more available? Because in the time between 01 and 2013, television had expanded so much, we're getting introduced to whatever Netflix is, not necessarily what it would become at this time, so there's more movies available to be watched or rewatched. Are the stars more available than they just happen to be A-listers because of the avenues of entertainment available? Or is it all due to Pixar's success and monetary success that it brought Disney that they're able to attract more A-listers? Well,
1: on the one hand, they had TV and you know tried-and-true animated mm-hmm. voice talents in Toy Story, right? You had the Anna sure. Potts, who did a lot of a- animation stuff. And, of course, who did the Ghostbusters, and she's a character actress. You had Ratzenberger, who was a star on Cheers. Sure. You had TV guys who may have been 20 years ago they were famous, but they're still in Toy Story in that supporting cast. This movie, Munsters University they got some big names yeah to play very small right.
0: parts i mean that's kind of the point i'm trying to make is that how big is the checkbook here
1: it's a big checkbook sure. it's all, but it's also still like the formula they followed with monsters inc mm-hmm. and toy story because you know they they take talented voice actors and they put them in roles but obviously if you got a bigger paycheck if you have more people wanting to do it willing to do a smaller role why not hire bobby, bobby moynihan to sure. say 20 things
0: if you're blinking you're not going to notice that's bobby moynihan by the way like right. if you scratch your ear at one part you're not going to know he's in this movie
1: at under all under pain of death i don't know if i could <laughs> tell you if someone was torturing me right now i don't know if i could tell you which character he plays because oh. i didn't look it up oh i know oh you do know. well i hope better you than me then anyway mike you have the state of the pixar
0: company why are all your theoreticals under pain of death who is hurting you out there
1: what is mike i have a fear of they don't being all have to be tortured I have a fear of being you know like tortured i guess which is a perfect time to admit it during our pixar rewatch gather round, children gather round, kids uncle michael's afraid of being tortured to death
0: so the state of the pixar industry and the company as a whole it's kind of an interesting time in that both monsters movies are seeing the effects of things not Exactly related To the Monsters movies Right And that'll become More clear as I get into it But Monsters Inc Came out in 2001 But the seeds Of its inception Reportedly were planted During the work On the first Toy Story movie Mike already hit On a little bit of this The DVD commentary Pete Doctor, Who's the writer On both films And an early Pixar team member Like also Mike Already described to you Made the statement Along the lines Of wanting to concentrate On stories that focus On shared childhood assumptions So in other words Toy Story was based On the shared idea That all kids believe Their toys come to life Once they leave the room Right, right? So why not make a movie on the shared idea that every child's closet actually did have monsters in it waiting for darkness to scare you. Mm. It's kind of how the inception, the at least the idea, the origin of the monsters ink story
1: happens. And they came up with that while they're making toys.
0: Right. So these are these are kids. You know, you wonder <laughs> you wonder why these adults <laughs> are still still so relatable to these childlike wonders. Because the phobias still
1: persist. <laughs> and if I ever write a story, it'll be about surviving torture. Why does this protagonist pee his bed so often? Uh, Doctor, of course,
0: would go on to be director of The Finished Monsters, Inc., and for good reason, as the story goes, that while the majority of Pixar put their time into creating their second film, A Bug's Life, Doctor spent most of his time and resources into right. fine-tuning the early versions of the scripts that would eventually become Monsters, Inc. Now, if you want to know about the ins and outs of the animation of this movie, you will find no better resource than either the DVD extras sure. or the videos, which are some of the same listed on the Pixar website in their Monsters, Inc. section. But we want to concentrate on the history of the company through these films. And that also tells of a very interesting time on its own. Also, I didn't want to go off talking about animation as if I knew what the hell I was talking about.
1: They you learned said how you to just make th- fur.
0: Well, yes, which is awesome. That (laughs) video is amazing. I highly, highly recommend you go seeking out. And they actually counted the number of furs that they put on Sully. And Mm -hmm. it was over like 2 million down to some number that ended in a four. So they know precisely how many
1: are there. And they wrote code so that the fur would react to different things Uh, in that shot. It is
0: amazing. It is an amazing story. I highly, highly recommend you go seek out the video. It's only like a three-minute video anyway. Toy Story 2 had actually quite the controversial backstory regarding its inception And production. And while we'll go into the specifics of those when we cover that film, Mm -hmm. again, like I said, these Monsters movies were feeling kind of the effects of that roller coaster that was set in motion way back then. And that some of that cause and effect was that Disney and Pixar, still at this point two separate and distinct companies, had only a three picture deal between them. And that was the cause of all this kind of strife that would eventually boil over at some point. In short, the strife being that Pixar felt Disney was taking advantage of them. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, And that the 50-50 deal that the two companies had agreed upon was actually an inequitable one, as they were upset at Disney for possessing the character and sequel rights exclusively, as well as taking up to a 15% kicker for distribution fees. Not quite 50-50, in other words. Clearly, any young company is going to give up something. To be in bed with Disney, right? Right. I mean, especially something like Pixar, when we talked about in the last episode, how they were basically on the edge of a knife of existence. Steve Jobs was still such a big part of them, but he was looking even to sell them off because he couldn't get a hard and fast date from Disney when their first Pixar movie would be released to the public to recoup some freaking cash. He was basically paying out of pocket to keep this endeavor alive at one point. So I
1: just read the book, To Pixar and Beyond. This is by Lawrence Levy, the CFO of Pixar during its early years. Mm-hmm. And Steve Jobs basically sunk $50 million of his own money uh, after leaving Apple while he's with Next, all right, in between the time where he's going to rejoin Apple, right, yeah. and become their CEO again. So during that time, he's growing Pixar from the ground up, and he's very proud of that fact. And it basically what it came down to, for him to finally recoup his money, Toy Story opens, it's a massive worldwide hit. Mm-hmm. Almost simultaneously, they make it a publicly traded company. Right, he goes from a millionaire to a billionaire, and it is a crowning achievement in his life. And then Disney comes back and forth to the table with them, and there's a there's a great story in that book about how their the, the, the negotiations with Disney are just just insane. They're just up and down. They walk away from the table several times, yeah, and Disney comes back reluctantly several times, and it's not until really. Bob Iger comes. Yeah. in, that it gets nice,
0: which is which is going to be something we discussed in the lead up to the Cars series, but uh, uh, Mike kind of hit on where this is going. Uh, part of the strife again was that the the current Disney CEO, mm-hmm. Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs, who was the president of Pixar, biggest shareholder, and he was sure. on the board as well. They didn't get along. <laughs> and they didn't get along professionally, and by a lot of accounts, their professional animosity grew personal. And mm-hmm. it became, at times, a, uh, for lack of a better term, a pissing contest.
1: This Not unlike it's, this movie kind this of was. This doesn't sound like Steve. Right, yeah, this he
0: seems very level-headed, <laughs> very out of character for him. But one of the things that wasn't hammered out in the deal between mm-hmm. Disney and Pixar was how the treatment of sequels would be handled because neither side thought they would be producing sequels for one another. That's, again, a story we'll get into when we talk about Toy Story 2. Monsters, Inc., though, would debut in November of 2001 as the fourth Pixar film, and as usual, Disney would be the benefactor of having the distribution rights. Two things of note would happen during the production and prior to release of this film, though. The first was the aforementioned battle between Pixar and Disney with regards to their original deal, a clash that in some ways would result in a Disney heir being booted from the company... Mm. And lead to an all but mutual parting of ways of both Disney and Pixar in 2004. Mm. Again, we had this is the height of the Disney CEO Michael Eisner and the Steve Jobs taking his ball and going home as well. It's a little heartwarming in that, like you mentioned, this is one of the few times in history it seems like a company may have actually gotten one over on the mouse. Mm. But then you think about it, and that company that got one over. Was Steve Jobs, <laughs> so corporations be corporate now? Hey, <laughs> bigger person wins. Uh, and secondly, the second thing that happened, maybe more happily and more pleasing to hear, is that Pixar had ballooned to some five hundred plus employees around the year two thousand, and as such, Jobs and original Pixar member John Lasseter were taken upon themselves to find a new home for the company in Emeryville, California. They moved into a campus designed by Jobs and Lasseter specifically for Pixar. They did this personally, and that's where the company currently is still headquartered today now as far as the backstory for pixar's history up to the monsters university much of that is going to be covered as well in the lead-up to cars franchise and again might kind of hit on some of what we're going to be talking about then with regards to the split and the tension between jobs and eisner the residual effects of that strife is more what affects the monsters university production But long story short, the dispute between Jobs and Eisner had become so hot that Mm. Disney was originally going to just stay in-house for a monster sequel until Bob Iger was inserted as head of Disney in 2005, replacing Eisner. It was at that point in late 2005, relationships were soothed and smoothed over, and eventually, as we all know, Pixar would soon thereafter be outright purchased by Disney for a sum of over $7 billion. That purchase would officially shut down any work done in-house by Disney these circle seven studios towards a monster sequel and the film would have to be rebuilt from the ground up from there on out which is what we eventually did see in 2013 that hit theaters finally so we have it's kind of two different snapshots in that the first monsters movie is is going on while there's this simmering animosity the simmering professional uh disdain going and there's there's trust issues between what this contract actually means and i thought we weren't going to do sequels if we're doing sequels don't we keep all the the money, and Disney saying, no, of course not, because we keep all the money all the time. Uh, that's the backdrop of the first Monsters movie. By the time we get to the second one, it seems like Pixar and Disney, obviously, are cop-esthetic because they are now one.
1: Finally. Right. And Disney, when they bring Pixar in, wants... Disney animation to be more like Pixar, so they basically promote all the Pixar mm-hmm. people up there. It's an incredible story that we're going to keep bringing you up to date upon. But you definitely uh, you hit on something that, that is, uh, is blew my mind today when I watched the special features for Monsters University. That is the dream work environment of anybody.
0: Now, dream work being two separate words, not dream who made Shrek that stole the Oscar in 2001 from Monsters Inc.
1: Good point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. But, I mean, in terms of the accommodations, think about the ultimate man cave. Yeah. And working there. Right. That is the Pixar offices. They have the greatest cafeteria I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. If you watch the Monsters University special features, you'll see all that. And it just looks like I would want to live there. I would want to live there 24 7. I would just, I would gladly stay at work all day, every day, and just eat that food.
0: <laughs> well, there's a reason that these big companies that sprout up in LA, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, they all seem to have this same blueprint of mm-hmm. like this giant workspace where there's ping pong tables set up and right. all these accoutrements on the side to keep your
1: employees happy. Giant Jenga games. Right.
0: There's a reason they all look like that because they all had to start somewhere. And this was one of the, you know, year 2000 plus companies that were able to, built lay it all out themselves, literally were built by hand by two people that were going to work there anyway and had the monies and time to put their own resources into it to make sure it came out perfectly. That kind of did, for all lack of a better term again, set the blueprint for how major corporations would be springing up from here even till now when we're talking about Facebook being built and and Twitter being out there on the West Coast.
1: Absolutely. And I I want, hire us Pixar. We'll do the Pixar. (laughs) I would do
0: nothing for them. You could hire Mike. I'll sit around (laughs) though. find there i will uh, you can write i'll deliver the food for the cafeteria i'll say some one-liners and keep people smiling i guess
1: i'm just still all about the food just yeah, yeah you- your food service <laughs> job there please pixar anyway mike i think for both movies my production nugget is going to apply to both movies and i think one process that has just been tried and true throughout screenwriting history throughout movie production history is that you go from the page basically in an animation film you go from the page to the storyboards, back to the page, and then you kind of you go back to the storyboards in a way. Now, with previous Disney films, they'll basically just animate a, a, a more involved storyboard. For Pixar, they're gonna computer animate a lot of the movie at a certain degree and you'll watch dailies of that and then they'll still figure things out. So it's just fascinating to watch all these making of featurettes and, and just look at their writing process and the writing process continues after your first seven drafts that are just trying to get a clue Mm -hmm. then you have the storyboards where you unlock a a bunch more things and those are how upteenth drafts of that and then you kind of start animate the animating process all the design blah 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 and and following that you keep you know just honing it down honing it down until finally you don't put the finishing touches on one of those middle drafts those first Few times your computer animating, you can't because yeah. you you're still making changes. I mean, they're having joke sessions or gag sessions late in like the production or mid-production, I'd say at, at the very least, where all the the animators are getting together in a room and they're just trying to come up with the funniest things they could think of, and they say it's a laugh riot, and that's almost that's like a TV writers' room, that's like SNL, that's like you know all the all the best comedy shows, and then they use all those best jokes in the movie. That is a process that is on all the making of featurettes, uh, really. For the universities movie in particular, but you get the sense that it's there for Incorporated. Yeah, too.
0: It, it, I can say specifically it was there for Incorporated because there was another feature at whether you're walking through the storyboard as it happens. This is again one of the DVD extras, I think, but I know for sure it's I didn't fix watch our all website. of them from
1: Incorporated. But...
0: They're, they're doing kind of the same thing, and it's amazing how creative the guy walking through the storyboard is has to be in his own right because he's selling not only what's going to happen in the plot and he's selling it to the animators and to the computer techs but he's doing the voices alongside it and his voices are just as good as what would be professionally redone in the studio with these A-listers so you're talking about guys that like no matter how small their role was you could tell Pixar was this company that really went out of their way to hire like the cream of the crop. If these guys weren't the best in their field at what they were doing anyway they would all be talented and the best in their field doing something
1: else. And then the voice actors Come in with all the dialogue already pre-recorded by all the animators right. and all the you know the non-actors that are in house there, which is something they do for every movie because they have to mm-hmm. because their, the animation process takes so long another thing that was fascinating and then obviously the voice actors come in when it's when it's all said and done so just the process seems like a dream but not work <laughs> let me put it that way take that shrek my other production nugget is about the upcoming tv series mike disney plus is now officially adding a monster show to its growing lineup this is a, a sequel Two Monsters Incorporated that will that will begin six months after that timeline finishes, and we'll have Billy Crystal, we'll have John Goodman reprising their roles. We got Ratzenberger. and we got Jennifer Tilly, we got uh, Celia May, Bob Peterson. We got all these uh, actors that have been in the other films and that are that are big names. So that's coming on Disney Plus. Monsters Incorporated, Mo- the Monster Series is going to be a big deal for years to come.
0: Yeah, Disney Plus is going to be. Something massive. It's going to be something massive. Star Wars shows, yeah, Pixar shows. Yeah. Holy crap! I'm i I wonder the effect this will have on the Academy because you know Netflix is going to arm up, and if Netflix is arming up to take on Disney, you know Apple's going to arm up. So you're going to have these three giants, none of which are going to be movie f- or at least theater first. Yeah. So where's that going to leave the Academy? It's all, we're on the verge of something. Either great or catastrophic. <laughs> Streaming Wars,
1: as Ken yeah. put it in that interview.
0: Sure. Uh, let's do some specs for the two movies. I'm going to go through these specs. I'm trying to give you a, a reason of comparison to mm-hmm. show the difference between 12 years. So that's you're going to get everything you, you can handle, but it might go a little long. And just kind of trying to highlight some differences for you. So we'll start with Monsters, Inc.
1: 2001. Can you do it in the voice of... Wazowski. Written by
0: Pete Doctor, Jill Colton, Jeff Pidge, and Ralph Eggleston. <laughs> nice. uh, they all get original story by credits. However, there are eight other listed writers who get either screenplay by, additional story by, or additional screenplay material via Pixar's era of the Pixar Brain Trust. So this is like what Mike commented on before. In the early days of Pixar, I guess this is year six, but it was still happening around this time. Pixar left their stories open. No matter how many different ones were being worked on, they let animators, directors, writers from different stories just wander in and out of different meetings, wander in and out of different scripts, and give their thoughts along the way if they had any. So that's why you have a listed of or a screenplay written by 17 different writers for Monsters Inc. because they wanted to make sure the credit was spread around, which I thought was kind of interesting and creative. It's like John Adams writing
1: letters to Thomas Jefferson, (laughs) (laughs) founding fathers. That's exactly what this exactly what it was, Uh,
0: Doctor. David Silverman and Lee Unkrich all get director and co-director credits. That's for Inc. for Monsters University. Much more condensed, it was written and directed by Dan Scanlon, who had other help listed on the page, but far less names and credits than its predecessor. Again, we're talking about a 12-year difference where the process has been streamlined.
1: Can you imagine doing a, an obscure mockumentary that I've never heard of as a <laughs> just cinephile to the craziest degree, Tracy, and then he he's picked up by Pixar to you know do this you know whatever six year process of becoming a Pixar director we talked last episode
0: how they did their editors attached were two guys that had little to no experience and now they're in charge of editing the first ever fully computer animated animated movie (laughs) it's like they're putting their trust in these people and it sounds nuts but it's paying off uh, literally too as well Monsters Inc. did debut uh, October 28th 2001 at the El Capitan Theater in LA and went wide in the US a couple days later November 2nd Universal went over the summer which again was part of the falling out of the battle between Disney and Pixar that Pixar wanted to do more summer theme movies they thought the box office was bigger so they won that at the end there June 5th 2013 in the UK and opened wide in the US June 21st of 2013 Inc. has a 90 minute runtime on a G rating and here's some differences and some f- financial numbers for you Inc. had a $115 million budget where the film would that's once big that is big for the time certainly 2001 and the film would once again go on to be a massive financial and critical success it finished with a 577 plus million dollar worldwide box office on a near 50-50 split so we're talking about 285 each between domestic box office and international and it would finish as the third highest grossing film of 2001 behind movies Shrek The Fellowship of the Ring, and Harry Potter 1. Inc. stayed in the top 10 of the box office for its first 10 weeks and was the second highest grossing animated film of all time at that point until Finding Nemo would come out from the same company some two years later. University, while still a success, was bigger, but... Mm, certainly not better numbers at least critical or right. otherwise 104 minute runtime again longer by about 15 minutes and a g rating a 200 million dollar budget almost double that of monsters inc and again while still successful the celebration would be far more uh, for more financial reasons than critical ones 744 million worldwide box office for monsters university but only about a third of that would come domestically and actually without accounting for 12 years worth of inflation monsters u would take in 268 domestically that would leave it again without inflation about 20 million total less than what ink did domestically only so while it was a bigger hit worldwide and internationally with these obviously more international studios popping up and more distribution happening at countries that otherwise didn't have them back in the early 2000s at home this movie may be a bit of a flop kind of
1: flop well not flop Flop's a tough word. word you're right
0: You're right, but certainly not as successful as the first Monsters movie, which is a little surprising. And more than that, Monsters University only had a run half as long in the top 10. It was only in the top 10 for about its first five weeks, though it would still go on to be the seventh highest grossing domestic movie of 2013. Uh, Inc., as far as critic scores go, not that it really matters at this point, because you know it's a success, but it finished with an 8.1 IMDb score, 78 meta rating, and a certified fresh 96% on 193 reviews, as well as a 90% audience score on over a million reviews, on Rotten Tomatoes, University lower across the board, 7.3 IMD rating, so we're talking almost a full point lower, a 65 meta rating, which is much, much lower than Inc. 78, a certified fresh Rotten Tomato score still, though it's at 79%, not the 96 that Inc. is, 81% audience score on 305,000 reviews, not a million plus. Talk about the awards profile to end on these specs with. So Pixar had caused such a stir in the industry. And remember, if you joined us for our first Toy Story movie, they had to award a special Oscar because animated film was not a category. So they gave John Lasseter his own special award. This now Pixar in its sixth year, four films in existence up to this point, the Academy basically opened up a brand new category for them and Disney, the much-beloved animated feature category at the 2001-2002 Oscars. However, perhaps ironically, the film would be one of only three Pixar films ever to be nominated and not win the award, as that year, like we said, the award for Best Animated Film, the first one ever, would actually go to Shrek. Uh, Monsters, Inc., though, did win Best Song for Randy Newman's If I Didn't Have You and received nomination for Original Score and Sound Editing, which is far more than University would be able to claim, as it had no nomination some 12 years later.
1: I'm very surprised that University didn't get the the Oscar lens that we thought it would. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. I I do see something about these two storylines in terms of their production profiles in general. Monsters, Inc. was this big, innovative smash hit. Mm -hmm. And then, to me, the University felt like a fun sequel to do. Is it all that necessary to do? Now, I'm going to talk glowingly about University. I think it's a terrific movie, and it's so much fun. But is the necessity there? Was the passion behind it necessarily there? And even though it was, well, well, everything, it's great. Does a domestic audience... Necessarily date from Pixar, the brand is right, innovate, right? So, and I wonder, story first, yeah. Story first. I mean, and, so
0: you're wondering, is the motivation there? Well, what's motivation? Is motivation box office? Then, sure, you know, but is motivation like creative fulfillment? Then, yeah, you're bringing up a good so, question.
1: So this brings up the big question for the series and for the series re- rewatch. You know, you have cars. 2 and 3 mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about later sequels. We got Finding Dory, which was a long gestating sequel, and then we obviously we got Toy Stories 2, 3 and 4 to talk about. What is the the need for those movies? Now after 3 was such a humongous draw and was such an accomplishment, is 4 going to get even bigger than that? Are we saying Toy Story 4 has got to go best picture or are we are, or is it just one of those fun I don't want to say money grabs, but they're essentially saying it is a right, money grab. It is a money yeah, grab. Yeah, I mean
0: that's that's absolutely what it is. I don't think there's any question about that, and I think that's interesting to highlight. And so it's going to be something interesting to pay attention to because the fervor in like the general audience certainly was more prevalent in the Toy Story movies and for Finding Dory than you would say it was for any kind of Cars. Certainly Monsters University. Yeah. I would throw the Incredibles too in there as well.
1: Let's get into some plot premises, though. Let's start to break these down. Monsters, Inc. basically uh, has a involved one because they're kind of introducing it. In order to power the city, monsters have to scare children so that they scream. However, the children are toxic to the monsters, and after a child gets through, two monsters realize things may not be what they think. Okay. Yeah.
0: So plot premise is described beautifully to set up the movie. If you didn't know anything about this movie, right, not only is that all you need to know, But it's also established in the first, I checked, nine minutes of this film, the rules of this created fantasy world are established and in stone and explained thoroughly for you in the first nine minutes
1: of this movie. It's going to fit one of those rules of storytelling later on, or by my example it will, because damn it, I say it will. (laughs) But yeah, I I totally agree. He's a tyrant. (laughs) I totally agree, and and they are just absolute slaves to the setup phase of a screenwriting formula. And you
0: can tell. It jumps off the screen.
1: And then again, they make it all entertaining at the same time. Economical and entertaining, and it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Monsters University is a much simpler premise. It says a look at the relationship between Mike and Sully during their days at Monsters University when they weren't necessarily the best of friends. So there's your hook right at the end of that premise. This is the story of them becoming friends.
0: And anytime you have prequel with the returning cast, that's usually you're usually dealing with some kind of internal strife. Right. Uh, even as most sequels even have that as well. You know, that's kind of the what you're playing on and this is no different. Again, is that a story that needed to be
1: told? We know they're the best of friends right. later on. If, if I didn't have you, Mike, <laughs> then you wouldn't have me? What's the next? I lyrics? didn't have... I don't know. I don't remember this song at all, to be honest. I am best not, original I've been going too far deep into you had a friend and me. Because we snubbed it for best animated feature. But Sorry. Let's talk about the production values. Monsters, Inc. Strong visuals for the time and place. You compare those to the visuals of Monsters University, it's not even close, right?
0: Not close, but I will say... There was so much improvement done on humans, which is so necessary for this movie compared to what Toy Story had. Boo
1: is just so lifelike. Yeah, the voice probably helps it because she's got that Goo Goo Gaga baby little top. Very voice, much, and that's adorable. And, and they it's they hilarious. still
0: leave it cartoonish because her eyes are always bugging. You they're, know, they're always bu- oversized. She's eyes. got
1: the oversized yeah. eyes, but that's okay for a cartoon, right. especially when you got ridiculous monsters everywhere. Exactly, that are played for you know comedy. So th- it all fits. It's not like they try to have a totally real. It's not like Scar from the new Lion King trailer is in the middle of this movie, State right? Return from Mike Mike and Oscar Weekly this week. <laughs> it's not like Will Smith from <laughs> the genie is just okay. That's Will Smith as a genie. We don't even have a cartoon genie. What the heck is going yeah. on? But yeah, obviously the big innovation for this film was the fur and the hair on on Sully. It was a huge deal. I remember being in awe at the time of this. I I was on the rewatch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't remember how amazing and it's almost silly that it was done by computer and it's certainly where we are now as a society with technology in 2019 to think that we were capable of this in 2001 when i know personally i was definitely still using a dial-up modem for aol i mean it's that's nuts to think about nuts
1: but obviously once we get into monsters university this is state of the art everything literally the, the campus there and the university is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it's vast in terms of visual goods. Like Monsters Incorporated, yeah, they take one trip, walk down the road, or walk down the street from their apartment building. We got a lot of interiors. We got one restaurant. And then the, it just grows so magically as they delve into Monsters Incorporated, that company. I'll go over that later on in spoilers. And the spectacle grows. In Monsters University, the spectacle grows, and somehow you think you are going to get a smaller world, and yet the world building, it, it, it's just so incredible. Like, we There's so many different areas of this college. There's even an underwater area for all the yeah. underwater monsters. Yeah which I thought was beautiful.
0: It really it really is stunning to look at, and there is such a big... Um, the starkness It's such a contrast between how lighting and shadows and a living, breathing background is handled in university yeah. versus we're pretty much confined to the, either the factory floor mm-hmm. or a, a tight, dark bedroom in Monsters, Inc. Right. We don't have a lot of background to play with.
1: And then they blow it out in the final spectacle. Right. But in this movie, you have the scare games, you have the crazy party, you have you have one spectacle after another that is more beautiful than the mm-hmm. next. And I just can't get over that in Monsters University. It and looks gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. It's just incredible. And the blue Blu-ray was magnificent. Mwah. And this
0: is, this is still something that came out six years ago now. I mean, right. We're talking almost a better part of a decade that this came out. So I don't... Technology is so far beyond what I'm capable of comprehending, it's almost silly to have me talk about it.
1: We can't build a website. <laughs> it's just taking it so long. By
0: the way, John Lasseter, yeah. if you can build us one quick.
1: Just quick. Just take yeah. like an afternoon. Mike, uh, the voice acting performances, and really the performances by the animators via their characters, because a lot of these animators, they they animate the characters by just making faces in the mirror we've seen this process happen many times in the on those uh making of featurettes uh so obviously the animators are, animators are res- as responsible for the performances as Billy Crystal and John Goodman uh i i do think though billy crystal shines through as billy crystal and so and john goodman these feel like their personas in other movies. Something like
0: pi- about Pixar getting big name actors in the studio and like convincing them to yell every line because right. it plays so well with the character. Like the Mike Wazowski mm-hmm. is yelling all throughout Monsters Inc. Not so much in University, he's a little more reserved at parts and trying to be a leader, but mm-hmm. he's just screaming. It seems it seems like for 90 minutes in Monsters Inc. and mm-hmm. Billy Crystal plays it off well. I also like how the idea of Sully came first and they were working on it and working on it and working on it and it's Sounds like the way it read was that John Goodman's bear-like voice just kind of sweetened the pot and put it over the top. Like, oh, that's what this character should be, this type of football player uh, ex-monster. So, yeah, I agree. Great performances all around. But it's, again... We're criticizing Disney performance. It's Disney and Pixar, of course it is.
1: Of course it is. Uh, they sing and dance a lot in the first movie. Uh, Crystal kills me with some joke when he's not screaming. Get your
0: hands off me right now! Don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, and, but then he, he,
1: he's also delivers some you know lower key jokes that are really funny in both movies. So Boo is utterly adorable. Yes, and she's really well animated. And I love the Steve Buscemi animation with the you know the whole you know disguise himself thing and. Here's another thing. Steve Buscemi, very, very talented actor. He sounds like he looks. <laughs> and his character looks like he sounds. Yes, he does. So he a great casting job. Take that however you will. But I think it really works. So uh, I love the, the two commanding presences in each movie. James Coburn as that old-time Hollywood western cowboy actor. Yeah. Who's just the old, you know, runner of the company and ends justify the means, mm-hmm. damn it. And then you have Helen Mirren in Monsters University that has all the old ways and they're coming up against her and she's coming off an Oscar run and oh my god it's just wonderful and then you got the fun voices from all the supporting cast members uh, you got Ratzenberger in both films from Cheers you got Nathan Fillion in University playing the dude bro yeah. uh, in front in <laughs> charge of the you know the frat there so I, I just thought that was incredible and the fact that the, the animated personas just age them all down like Billy Crystal's 70 years old and he's playing a little college kid
0: that was so weird
1: it's Isn't <laughs> Isn't like weird? knowing
0: that billy crystal and then you see you're first introduced to a teenage wazowski on a bus on like a greyhound getting to monsters university and it's billy crystal's voice which i thought was a unique choice anyway because he spent the the preface of that with a child mike wazowski yeah. so i would have thought his teenage years were just going to be another like teenage kid 20 year old kid no we're going right from like Pre
1: adolescent child to Billy Crystal. I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. My entire mother's side of the family, th- their regular voice is basically a Billy Crystal impression. <laughs> a whole family though every male member of the family is like i am Billy crystal and i grew up this way and this is how i talk so when i think is of that Billy, billy crystal, crystal impression no absolutely that not. was amazing <laughs> i should just you know inter- be around my mom's side of the family then i'll talk like them and then right, bottom yeah. line i'll slip into it then i'll have my billy crystal <laughs> impression but mike Billy Crystal, to me, is of that generation. He's of an older generation. He's of the 70s, 80s generation. And yet, I am totally aging him down and and falling into the trap that every great movie does to me and realizing that, okay, he's a college kid. And yeah. It's hap- and it's um, true.
0: I mean, he does a good enough job. You could say the same about John Goodman, who's no spring chicken. Right. And he's playing the same age range. So it is amazing that they were able to animate not only the the figures on the screen, but have the, the dialogue that was believable enough that you're not so caught up in, like, wait a minute, these are, by all accounts, all due respect to them, but two elderly men <laughs> playing these
1: college kids. Unbelievable. I want to push the uh, script thoughts to spoilers, so let's skip that section, go right to Oscar Lens here. Uh, we've also foreshadowed the script stuff. So, Oscar Lens, should Monsters Incorporated have gotten more than the best original song Oscar at one. Now is it better than Shrek? Tough call.
0: God, that's a tough call. I Shrek s- was great. I would say no. Yeah. Okay. I would say no. I would say Shrek was probably the right
1: call. So we get why it didn't win there. Should it have gotten a best original screenplay nod. I mean, is that something I mean think about the story machine here. Maybe. I, I we'll have to look at that at some point. Monsters University was not nominated for an Oscar and I just think this is petty nonsense, Michael. Because The Croods was. The Croods. There's no way. I've never seen The Croods. But there's no way The Croods is better than Monsters University. Well,
0: look. No way. That's not your only gripe, right? If you're going about the nominees, Ernest right, well, and Celestine. Those are like the, the fancy rises. art
1: house anime movies. This right, is my winner. way
0: of saying the winner of the category was frozen which is so worthy Disney didn't want to run against itself I'm Man, sure
1: that's exactly what happened
0: you know I and mean the yeah. crudes got nominated <laughs> Right. Is this a better movie than The Croods? <laughs> Having not seen The Croods, I feel comfortable in saying yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
1: There's no question.
0: Original screenplay just for that year as well, University, Her one, American Hustle, Blue Jasmine, Dallas Buyers Club, Nebraska. This was the year of like, one of my favorite years in movies, 2013, 14, so. Oh, I would so have, that's University? Yeah, that's University. Okay. Going back to the 2002 Oscars, uh, so covering the film year 2001, 2002, Best Original Screenplay, Gosford Park one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, You're very upset about that Yeah uh, uh,
0: Amelie, Monsters Ball, Royal Tenenbombs, And Memento did not win because Gosford Park won
1: Amelie and Memento lose
0: And the Royal Tenenbaums
1: And the Royal Tenenbaums to lose To Gosford Park To Gosford what Park won. And Monsters Inc. gets snubbed Nothing happens in Gosford Park. (laughs) A man dies, and that's it. (laughs) I also don't love Gosford Park. I'm not going to lie. Oh, God.
0: All right. Are we dancing? But they're all
1: so cheeky. Yes, please.
0: (laughs) Helen Mirren in that, too. Oh, there's a head. And uh, how is Georgie doing? He's doing great.
1: I love working with that big guy.
0: Keep the doors coming, Charlie. I'm on a roll today.
1: George and I are like brothers. (laughs) Twenty-three nineteen. We have a twenty-three (laughs) nineteen. Red alert! Red alert! Red alert! Red alert! Red Red alert! George Sanderson, please remain motionless. Prepare for decontamination.
0: This is a Spoiler. This is the spoiler section for our second Pixar series rewatch episode. We're covering the Monsters movies. If you have not joined us for a Pixar series rewatch episode before, go back. Last week, we covered the first Toy Story. We're not going in chronological order, but we are covering every Pixar movie ever made. And this is going to be the spoiler section for both Monsters, Inc. from 2001 and Monsters University from 2013. If you have not seen either movie, this is a good place for you to pause. Go watch them. Come back. We'll be here waiting for you. If you've seen the movies already, if you're just interested to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the movie so much, for you in the non spoiler section that you cannot possibly live another moment in your life Mm -hmm. without hearing what happens. This is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time for both Monsters, Inc. from 2001 and Monsters University 2013, the Pixar Rewatch series brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Michael, are we starting with some screenwriting stuff?
1: Yeah, we have screenwriting rule number two of the Pixar rules of storytelling, all 22 of those. So number two, I'm going to talk about Monsters, Inc. with that. Here it is. You got to keep in mind what's interesting to you as an audience, not what's fun to do as a writer. They can be very different. What's interesting to you as an audience member, not the same of what's fun to do as a writer. So basically, what's interesting to an audience member, and you mentioned it earlier, is to get exposition early on so that you're suspending your
0: disbelief. How does this world work? You need to know
1: and you need to be given that exposition in a fun entertaining montage right from the opening scene James Coburn is teaching the class around scaring children and he's dropping exposition about how the plot is going to develop whatever you're going to do whatever you do don't leave the door open so that's a key foreshadowing moment
0: don't leave the door open why are screams important how do we get to all these different closets teaching
1: little kids yeah. right and then in the next scene They structure it around this new commercial where Mike is like hoping he's in the commercial and he's, I'm going to be in this one. And they just blatantly spit out affirming everything about Monsters Incorporated. This is how it works. And then we get multiple jokes from Billy Crystal's character throughout those two scenes. And for those two scenes in the setup, like you said, nine minutes in, Mm -hmm. we have eaten our vegetables yeah. and it was basically drenched in chocolate syrup <laughs> well that's it's wonderful it's it's
0: so remarkable too because we complain all the times it was on the nose it was overly expositive we don't need to be explained to or talked to that's not to say you can't do that obviously you Pixar a- has to do that For movies like like this.
1: movies, especially in the beginning, that's when the audience is most tolerant. Right. Like, you could have had a totally elaborate thing about the antagonism, which a lot of MCU movies Mm -hmm. do, right? You could have totally had the ugly snake Buscemi guy doing something and doing something nefarious and you could have did the, the, the prologue of Monsters University <laughs> going into this and, and waited on that exposition. No, they just set up a joke with Billy Crystal, yeah, a great joke, and they dropped all the exposition and allowed it to be the setup for the big part. And park. you're getting
0: characterization in that as well. You know Steve Buscemi is going to be your antagonist at some point. You know Coburn's character is the big bad. Right. They save the twist with him, by the way, because you don't expect that to come when it does. But as a writer, that's got to be
1: torturous because that's sure. not fun to do they're just basically saying okay we need to do this for the audience and we need to parse all these just just taglines one tagline after the other you, you and I have a hard enough time coming up with one tagline for one kind of episode <laughs> for our whole brand in fact and they're just basically saying one yeah. tagline after another for those first whatever three pages of the script we have to do this We and then let's create a joke around it and let's have the gag session to create a joke around it about Mike Wazowski barely being visible in a picture.
0: I can't believe I'm on TV. I'm on TV. <laughs> it's your mom. She says hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole family you're, see you're, it. Why would you not study this as a screenwriter? They are so economical, not only overall, which you could study the entire movie for that purpose, but if you're going to be expositive and get that just in your face exposition, there's a way to cleverly do it yeah. where, yeah, it may seem like an ordeal to you, especially my God, how long did this movie take in development? Some six plus years alone, just that Pixar is a standalone company, never mind the thoughts that went into it prior to Pixar being yeah. getting off the ground at all. But it, it has to be, they have to be so bored by the time they get the word down on the page, but they still take their time and, langu- and they just live in it. They, they devour you in exposition. And it's very and smart. And it's entertaining.
1: And it's entertaining because it's smart because you have straight man comedians. Yeah. Pl- you have that, that, that mix. Always playing, because when he's talking to the kids, right, Coburn is the straight man, and the kids are making all the, you know, they're they're playing for comedy. And then you, at the end, you have the commercial, which is the, you know, the exposition dump, and then you got Mike Wazowski for the comedy. So it really works. And
0: you're rewarded right away, too. They give you a big laugh that sets you up for future laughs right after all the exposition's done, too, with the first 2319 and, and Monsters, Inc.
1: And the Avengers learned a ton from this. I mean, you think about the Avengers Infinity War. And all the just blah, 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 blah. And then joke with Tony Stark. Yeah. That happened at the beginning of Avengers Infinity War. So that makes some sense. Now I'm going to talk about university for rule number three here, Michael. Trying for a theme is important, but you won't see what the story is actually about until you're at the end of it. Now rework, right? <laughs> now, these are both like rules for the writing process. I was going
0: to say, you're going to have to walk me through this one.
1: So bottom line is, theme is not what you typically start with. Like, you could try, Mm -hmm. right? You can try to say, all right, I want a movie about coming of age (laughs) at adolescence and what it is to be a man. Typically, that's very hard to shape a plot around that theme and eventually run with that theme because we all have subconsciouses writing is really uh, has a lot to do with psychology and have managing your own psychology and allowing yourself to be a fully flushed human being where you don't necessarily tell yourself what truly matters to yourself you kind of find that out so bottom line here is pixar is is, is making it so important that we are going to follow tried and true storytelling uh processes the writing process, like Judd Apatel, he calls the first draft the vomit draft. Mm-hmm. Pixar understands that all these first drafts are basically, all right, let's get a clue about the characters. Let's get a clue. Maybe we'll find the theme early. Maybe not. Probably not. So they bring in a lot of writers. They write dozens of drafts. They hone in upon what they need. And I loved how the Monsters University explanation came from Dan Scanlon at the end. He's like, once we realized that this movie was about two people, who needed to deal with their insecurities first before they can become friends? Once we realized that that was the key to the story, that that was the theme, then the drafts just you know flowed from there. And then they figured out the story, and that probably happened. So it's mid- kind of production like, process.
0: It's kind of like starting at the you make sure you have a quality ending, and then working back or reworking
1: backwards from there. They can work backwards when they figure out what right. the theme needs to be.
0: Do you think? That's why the general audience numbers and critical numbers kind of suffered in that if you take apply that rule to the audience, that everyone knew where this was going. Right. They had the ending figured out already, so despite the quality of film it was, and Monsters University is a quality picture, obviously, it still didn't reach the numbers. Not talking financially, just about the audience numbers and critical numbers. Do you think that may have had something to do with why it suffered
1: a little bit? That's a great analysis to make because you're basically making the argument of why prequels... Should- shouldn't make as much or as are more they, difficult or more to pull difficult off, yeah. to pull off than the real the real thing or the first story or, or the media arrays which right. is the way you're supposed to tell a story in the middle of things you're supposed to tell a story at the the most interesting year of the character's life the most interesting time in their life the most harrowing time in their life you're not supposed to give the backstory to the most harrowing time that you hope is the second most harrowing time at best right
0: <laughs> right yeah i mean that's yeah. you I, I, it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's absolutely true. Uh, basically, this is our long winded way of just reaffirming what everyone knows and that The Godfather 2 is the greatest film of all time.
1: Godfather 2 <laughs> might be. Might be. But Pulling they, all that off. The, the years get increasingly interesting for Michael Corleone.
0: Well, 3 is.
1: 3 happened, was sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't think of three as even existing. Anyway, great subject matter for the Monsters Inc. Uh, like, <laughs> let's talk about some heartbreaks first uh, to get into a, you know kind of a best scene, worst scene. But we're we'll eventually getting into best and worst. But bottom line is, heartbreaks there are a lot. Saying goodbye to Boo and Incorporated,
0: I almost cried. I'm not ashamed to admit it, when she opens that closet door, when she thinks Sully's going to be there, and she does her last scare, her last boo, and all she sees is a closet, I got goosebumps right in the fucking now talking. I'm not ready to confront this. I'm not an emotionally developed human being. I can't take these things. Pixar
1: helps develop our emotions, <laughs> is what I think is the moral oh of story. Oh my god, right? I was so
0: crestfallen.
1: <laughs> there are several in Monsters University as well. There are, there are. You know when Mike is kicked out. First of all, every time Mike is about to cross a line, like he was when he was a little kid, that meant a lot to me. And it was it was a it stirred my heart when he crossed the line getting off the bus. Right, it was just a stupid like line in the dirt, Mm -hmm. and he crosses it just like he did when he was a little kid. I was like, oh, that's adorable. And then when he's kicked out of the college and he crosses it again oh that just ruined me I was like are we gonna really end like this
0: you do love yourself some subtext I
1: love it (laughs) I love it it's crossing the line man
0: I I, mine was much easier the big heartbreak moment for me was the much more obvious one in university when they're getting carried essentially right i thought you think you talk about carry in a pixar movie but they get the the tar and feather treatment and it's so funny because of course everything's the opposite in a monster's world so yeah. the tar and feather embarrassment is them being glitter bombed with stuffed animals but it still Thankfully. worked it still worked and it, it wasn't pig's blood yeah uh, uh, it was
1: founding fathers based it would have been tarred and feathered <laughs> in its inception yeah right. maybe that was on draft number two
0: <laughs> but it, it worked emotionally on me and it was emotionally manipulative because you think this guy has fought so hard for this movie and how relatable a story is this personal overcome and that stick-to-itiveness and that you can do-itiveness and just keep going keep pushing that fucking boulder up that hill man and it's finally gonna pay off it's our first college party everyone's loving us yeah. we finally made
1: friends and then It's all just painful, and they're having so much fun at your expense. Yeah, they're having so much fun at that party. Uh, Another big emotional moment, or a couple, really, between Mike and Sully in this movie, and and I thought that was really the core of the film, the core of the story. With all the extra fun, is that this is about these two guys becoming friends, and maybe there's not enough of it early on in the movie, but once it hits that midpoint where uh, Sully and Mike, they're both thrown out of the scare program. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's played for a gag because Mike goes to the canister design, you know, and that professor's that like... That was so funny. Some <laughs> people call this a very boring part of the...
0: And then he he inhales for like 20 <laughs> seconds. Some people
1: think it's boring. Chapter one. Let's get started. <laughs> oh my God. There's so many little laughs like that. But you're right.
0: It is a very emotionally harrowing and right. i think that's no accident that again some of those moments because otherwise it'd be too heavy right i mean sure. certainly for kids you to. but you undercut some of those heavy moments with immediate jokes after joke after
1: joke but it doesn't get lost on us that those moments still happen well it's interesting to pinpoint like the joke like the paternal joke or the paternal emotional scene right when sully is emotional about boo that gets us as parents we're allowed to get sad right the kid, are kids watching that kind of—that's that a great sad? point. A great the point. kids are like, "Oh, fine." Would but that they have don't hurt get us that. as much? Yeah, that's a great point. Our paternal instincts kick in. So to go along that
0: line, though, that's an interesting point you right. bring up because since so many critics are responsible for younger children, certainly in their adult years, sure. because we didn't have. You know, the only conduit we have in university really is Mike Wazowski for ourselves. That's our only relatability. We don't have the caretaking parental. Yeah, he does a little bit of it in leading the the Uzma Kappa or whatever fraternity is. But we don't have that one-to-one parallel like we do with Sully's feelings for Boo in the first one. So does does the emotional investment we have, is that lacking in university for that reason?
1: For that reason. You think so? Because, again, they're playing on the same magic. You know the Bermuda Triangle of brilliance from Toy Story. You have the triangle between the toys and the kid, mm. and they keep that up with Toy Story two and Toy Story three. It's very important in Toy Story four. By all the trailers accounts, they realize that in Monsters Inc. Let's play the same formula. We'll have the two best friends, but we're also going to gear it towards the child, <sighs> and we have that lens on it. In this movie, it's more about just the friendship in inter- the magical world. The interpersonal
0: world. connection, yeah.
1: Even in Finding Dory, Finding Nemo, you, the, the, it's the triangle. It's yeah, child. you have the yeah, friendship, that's a great point. but you also have the parent angle. You're you're absolutely right. So, the, was there an emotional moment in University like there was in Incorporated? I don't think so. For I that didn't reason. feel one
0: certainly, and maybe for that reason. is why.
1: Yeah, there was some you know touching moments. That's with, not yeah. That's not to say the there was no
0: emotional investment in University when at Mike
1: all. you know realizes he's not scary to the the campers, the little girl campers. Certainly harrowing. And when Mike realizes that Sully is the reason,
0: he cheated to win, and then Sully comes over the top with saying, if I didn't help you, you were going to let everyone down. This team was going to be disqualified. They have
1: a big heart-to-heart, you know, screaming match. And then, like most, Friendships do necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. They invent that plan to come up with the great scare. I love that. I love that as a as a teamwork. You know, despite them being at odds at that moment, and I like the fact. And Scanlan mentions this: all the making of featurettes, the director of University. That bottom line is, you if they just became best friends in that moment, it would have felt cheap. It wasn't earned. You know, they needed to do something else. That's
0: something interesting too. In that University Inc., I think had the luxury of relying on the emotional investment from the Boo character. Right. And the luxury of this... Honestly, the fur technology. Like, we had never seen anything like that before. It had the luxury... And it's not to say that it wasn't earned because these people put their heart and soul into it Mm -hmm. to get to that point. But they had the luxury of relying on things outside of story that maybe people were concentrating on. Whereas university had to be a little trickier and they did, like, counter-convention stuff. Like, there's a point in this movie where you're getting the Van Wilder storyline right mm-hmm. this this good for nothing ragtag team of underdog uh, fraternity yeah. has to compete it, it, in Revenge these games. Revenge of the nerds Van Wilder. Right. I mean,
1: that's tried tri-trope.
0: And, and right away the you genre. think you think this is where this movie's going to go mm-hmm. but we have the counter convention immediately where they get disqualified on the first event right yeah. and we think the movie's over it's going to be about something completely different right. and then they reverse that even and have a different team being disqualified not unlike dodgeball by the way as we're naming movies.
1: This is the sports fleece genre <laughs> <Yeah>. done on <laughs> (laughs) College campuses, yes.
0: So I really thought you could see there was more of a concentrated effort into how do we make this script stand out from the run of the mill prequel? How do these interpersonal connections get made?
1: But you're right about the box office draw. I mean, it doesn't have that obvious draw that commits to the same thing they committed to in the other movies with the with the children involved. You're you're basically asking people relive our college days Mm -hmm. through this cartoon movie. Made for your kids. Made for your kids... While you try not to have them let on to what your college days really were, <laughs> because you don't want them to know.
0: I have to tell my nephew never to speak of what I did. Yeah,
1: that's Mike, a great point. We talked about the heartbreaks, and there's a lot of happiness in there. Let's talk about some of the happiness here. To me, I was very happy when Sully realizes in the Arctic. Number one, I'm happy about the whole Arctic scenario at the end of Monsters. You like that? I don't know I how I loved feel about it. That they met the abominable snowman. The that abominable was fun. Snowman, G- Ratzenberger, you know Rex from that was Toy very Story funny. movies. Yes. It's funny. I like that you know when you're seen by humans, that's <laughs> you stay there. Right. The, the Loch Ness <laughs> Monster. They list all. It made me so happy to, to have it. That world expanded and world built for me. That was great. But when Sully realizes in the Arctic that he has to go back to for you know to Boo to save her, and then he does, and it's this big elaborate thing, and then it's just such a great moment. When, of course, Mike Wasowski just shows up when he's already behind. So to me, to you, just you, your brain goes mental gymnastics. All right, he did all of that other stuff to get here, and he immediately does the Mike Wasowski thing, <laughs> and he just goes into the conversation, starting to
0: explain away the apology while Sully's under attack from Randall. I that love- was
1: very funny. I loved it.
0: Uh, maybe the happiest I was during this movie has a part that has nothing to do with the main plot and right. I don't, you can credit that to the screenwriters or not but the monster getting the revenge on his buddy calling 2319s on him the entire movie mm-hmm. and at the very last part he just throws the sock on his buddy and throws him into the closet yes. back through the door yes. that I think was the hardest I laughed that, that was made me happiest it's
1: a running gag the whole yes. the gosh darn thing <laughs> and he kept getting shaved and he gets more <laughs> yeah. bandaged up at every time again tarring and feathering and mm-hmm. the whole founding fathers thing I think they, they may be students of history, and they may think highly of themselves. This group of Pixar, ass.
0: Um, frankly, so I guess. They, not that it was, you know, made me feel the best, but maybe the highlight of the movie overall won the fur. I really can't. I mean, I know it's ridiculous ridiculous thing, but it, was you know, it looked great. Yeah, did. Um, but turning it into like this action adventure chase at the end, when we're going through the background of all these doors,
1: that door chase blew my mind.
0: Yeah, that was really, really creative. And it's
1: scary too. Mm. It's absolutely. Terrifying if you think about it because you're dealing with a kid. Mm-hmm. You get this kid who can just drop to fall to its death. I mean, this talk about raising the stakes and raising the spectacle. You, ma- you manage to do both. Uh, in in that sequence and it's scary and then it's innovative it's the most innovative thing absolutely because now they built up this whole thing with the doors and then they're going in and out of the doors and they have to get back to here to get to her door they're going in and out of doors they're going all over the world in that one sequence a little
0: tactless on how it ended for Randall with the commentary they're making about people that live in trailer homes in the south I think but it was Get a different the time. There was a different time in 2001.
1: It's also funny. It was. It's also funny. Get Gator. Oh, it was pretty good. All right, University. What about some highlights here? University, Mike, the number of funny characters that just ha- are there for like one scene. Like you have the garbage thrown away, and then the cafeteria la- lady looks at it, stares at it for a long moment, and then dumps it back on the buffet. <laughs> that killed me. You have the snail. Oh man, I can't be late on my first day. <laughs> That was <laughs> and they very just, funny. They held his panting and his running for so long; it was just like an endurance thing. Uh, I love the fact that uh, Sully is like such a cool, such a over-the-top d bag. Hey, bub, can I borrow a pencil? Forgot all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's the cool kid. That's uh, how you know he's
1: cool. <laughs> you know, we we talked about in pre-production. We were goofing about the Buscemi making the cupcakes and how he's not cool. That was a smart thing because, like, he is. You know he's the nemesis in the next movie. To make him relatable in this movie was that was a risk. Yeah, I absolutely, was absolutely,
0: absolutely was a risk without question. I didn't like how they kind of scuttle butted the. Uh, oh, that's the last time I lose any sort of competition to you. Just to set up his nefarious right. ways in ink. Yeah. I thought it deserved more of an exploring.
1: But I understand it.
0: You know, it certainly made enough sense on its face. And I think him being so likable and relatable, he doesn't really have a turn in this movie. He's Except like an, at the very end.
1: Yeah, he's like an Easter egg more than anything it's in true. this movie. And that's fine. We talked about the mom listening to heavy metal.
0: That was my favorite gag of either movie.
1: That killed me. And I,
0: it's so stupid. And sometimes I guess the stupidest, most obvious jokes are the ones that land best anyway. <laughs> because you have these, these kids... Essentially, these college students that are going to sneak into this factory. Right. Right. This giant factory. And the mother, who has been witless the entire movie. Yeah. Like, just in her own <laughs> world. Okay, Connie, have a great time. I'm just going to sit here and listen to my tunes. And we have been set up so thoroughly throughout each movie so far mm-hmm. that what's good for a monster is the opposite of what would be good for a human and like what we what monsters enjoy the garbage and rabble rousing and scaring is stuff that's naturally uncomfortable to human being yeah. so of course if a mother monster is going to sit in her car listening to <laughs> soft tunes that are think that mothers listen to it's going to be the most hardcore heavy metal music in the world and that's exactly what we get and her disposition does not change at all shes just <laughs> Sits there, smiling in the front seat, listening to it.
1: It's an obvious And they make a couple <laughs> obvious jokes in this They way. do, yeah. Like the garbage thing. But, like, you know, the, the coffee machine just pours out sludge. Yes, yes. It takes forever. So simple and
0: so genius. It's
1: brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> so things like that just made me uh, so very happy. We had uh, Avoid the Teenagers in that maze daddy I love him <laughs> <laughs> I was dying at that uh, everything with Don Carlton middle aged salesman who's also with the tentacle he's arms great. everything with him he's so great me so much uh, it's it just when he's like in the trees like thanks and I cannot I get, can down. get down I can get down
0: says it so cheerily and happily Oh, what the, other the can characters. I spoil for you? Yeah. Well, yeah, the side <laughs> characters, and maybe it's because there was no boo and right. they knew they didn't have that emotional connection, but even so, I guess my criticism then would be put them in danger, no? Like, there was no real danger to any of these characters outside of the fact that they may not get back into the scaring program, which right. these side characters were okay not being in in the first place anyway. Like, they were just content being whoever on university campus.
1: Yeah, and the fact that they actually, you know, have their dreams come true—that their, their repressed dreams come true—is is pretty amazing. Right. And uh, it's it's really it was a big moment to see them. Watch the actual monsters incorporated when they broke in like mm-hmm. that and looked through the windows and saw all the different kinds of monsters being successful there that was cool It gave them a ton of confidence i was wondering like where is this going is this just a gag and just to use like a setting that we're familiar with which is brilliant by the way to use the prologue at a field trip to monsters incorporated yeah. all right let's remind you where we've been mm-hmm. of everything from the last movie just brilliant
0: pixar does exposition like nobody
1: and we'll do it with a cute little mike Wazowski, yeah which is adorable and will make you feel like he's the biggest underdog in the world right from there but uh so this is the, the way they do settings to me the build of the setting and i did this in toy story i wanted to do it with university you you have the prologue monsters inc reminding you of everything then you go to the university regular dorm life is eventful and scary. <laughs> and that's enough to just to get to know the characters there. They go to the first class. You have the scare program, eerie setting, right? Mm-hmm. But It's still a classroom. It's still controlled. You meet the, you know, imposing figures of the Helen Mirren. Character. Scrabble hard, hard scrabble, right? What a ridiculous thing uh, <laughs> that you got that whole sequence of them deal, dealing with life throughout the university and then getting kicked out of the banished, to the okay frat. And then each scare game is an ascending challenge and is scarier than the next, but it's also a bigger spectacle than the next. And of course, you, you wind up going back to Monsters University, or Monsters Incorporated, excuse me, in the university itself, and using the whole door thing. But now you're like, gosh darn it, they get caught in a scenario where he's not scary, where they call the cops on him, now you have these cops who are toting guns around at them. It's a serious scenario.
0: The first movie, all you need to, all you want is to so badly be in one of those doors. And second movie, the last thing you want to do is be caught behind one of those doors. Again, it's just a great circumvention of, of yeah. trope and conventional thinking. A bunch of cops with guns going after <laughs> them, and they got to figure
1: out how to scare them. Yeah. Just brilliant.
0: It, was, it really was. It's the creative process behind Pixar... Uh, it's really stunning, and I know that's maybe an obvious thing to say, but don't forget, too, that this was a period that this movie had to be redone from the ground up. Yeah. There was no lead-ins. They didn't have the the layover from the first release of Monsters, Inc., because it was basically a whole new process that was allowing itself to be, because Disney wanted to do this one in-house. So any work that was done on what Disney thought Monsters 2 was going to be was just put away. So this whole maybe it suffers for it. Maybe that's why it's part of the reason the reviews are lower, but, this whole movie was an original idea well after we had been introduced to the Monsters
1: characters. I want to meet a real critic and argue with a real critic who gave this a negative review. How do you give that a negative review? It makes no sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. Like at the very worst this is a fun movie. Right. And this is a movie with the screenplay that's brilliant and a story that works. What are you talking about this is 70% or 30% of critics just went I didn't like it more than Finding (laughs) Nemo. I didn't like it as much as Wally and up which was just transcending the genre is
0: that us now the, the, anytime we have a hoity toity critics voice we're just gonna turn into Roz from this movie
1: <laughs> I guess so. Oh no pretty much to bring it full circle <laughs> pretty much Mike All right,
0: Mike, uh, any final thoughts here? We're through now three Pixar movies. This is going to cover the Monsters movies, Toy Story 1, what's on the horizon. Let's catch us up to date a little bit. Finding
1: Nemo, Finding Dory, then we'll probably hit a Bug's Life the week after that. We may have a few weeks coming up. I mean, this is a long-term rewatch, so we're taking our time Mm -hmm. with it. We're savoring it. Uh, But we wanted to hit a couple big franchises, give you a taste of a couple of the big ones. That came out wrong, <laughs> right off the bat. Taste our
0: big ones yet?
1: <laughs> Again, in the children's episode, the episode where I'm sure our listeners are like, maybe I can listen to this with my kids. Right? Maybe. Right. Can I get away with it? We talked about
0: sexual innuendo and just what uh, there was mafia talk at one point. God, I think there was mafia talk.
1: There, there, there was tor- tar feathering and That's torturing. Right. <laughs> No, we're not safe for work or for kids yet. We're trying so hard. <laughs> they're not paying attention anyway. They're on their Game Boys or whatever the hell they're working the game with. Game Pads
0: saying. or their iBoys. Their
1: Dubops. <laughs> Give me a break. But bottom line is we're going to continue to kind of work our way through the Pixar catalog. And we'll take it franchise by franchise. And then we'll start with the standalone movies. We'll combine a few of the lesser ones that weren't big as big of a hit a good dinosaur with another one or whatever but we'll, we'll do some co- combining later on we may not though we may just do more episodes yeah we're still figuring it out but now we have a theme song and now we are good to go for a whole series we certainly
0: at least have a theme song if nothing else Uh, guys we certainly like always want to know your thoughts questions concerns comments and what these movies meant to you as like you like us I'm sure you kind of grew up with these these were very definitive movies at two different points in your life so we want to hear your stories about them you can reach out to us Mike Mike and Oscar on Facebook Mike Mike and Oscar on Instagram M.M. and Oscar on the Twitter machine Mike Mike and Oscar at gmail.com dot com and on Reddit we're available everywhere you hear podcasts tune in Stitcher SoundCloud iTunes Spotify, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe even Disney Plus someday. I don't know. Petition them. Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, Mike, on the heels now of our second Pixar rewatch episode, final
1: I mean, words of wisdom. Yeah, we, got, we had two rules of storytelling that deal with the screenwriting process, and the bottom line is rewrite, 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 rewrite yeah. again and again and again. If you're a screenwriting uh, a guru or if you're a screenwriter listening in the audience, I know we got a bunch. Uh, I still am. It's all done in the rewriting. Vomit it out, rewrite it, and hopefully you got it. you can have a, like a Pixar like cafeteria experience at some point. <laughs> All of us, I'm very enviable of that. I think
0: catharticism comes into play too. You know, you want to make the make it cathartic for you, make the experience cathartic for you, but don't forget the audience. It seems to be an important thing, right?
1: And it's weirdly how it works for both you and the audience when you serve the audience. Yeah, right. and that's basically what these two rules. Sure. Are pitching it's going to work for you uncovering the psychological theme of the story that you never knew you always wanted to write about
0: i was going to just say touch yourself in deeper places but we've done enough <laughs> of that badness. So i'm going to refrain from saying that but guys when reality sucks oh. uh be sure to watch movies with us and watch these pixar movies they'll make you feel better yeah. uh regardless of what i just said uh we'll see you next time see you <laughs>